0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: This morning we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 7, and the last time we were in Nehemiah 6, And the title was Victory at Last. And if you weren't here last Sunday, definitely get the message because there was a sub-theme of how to deal with personal attacks. If you've lived long enough, you know, even teenagers, I mentioned cyberbullying, there's just a lot of good information. How did Nehemiah handle it? What are the options as believers, etc.? And today, well, today we're going to look at spiritual heart building because we're going to be in 7 and 8. We're going to go quickly through 7. There's a lot of genealogy in there I'm not going to go over. But basically the temple is built you know temples already been built under ezra now the walls of jerusalem are built this is a historical fact 5th century bc in the persian domination the gates are up the walls are up it is joyous celebration however that's just the external this morning we're going to cover what still needs to be revived rebuilt resurrected And that's what's inside the edifice, what's inside the structure. And that's the people of God, and by extension, the heart of the people to be towards God. And I'm going to make parallels with the church. The church, actually the word has changed over the past 2,000 years, but it is very interesting how we can look at these parallels with God's people over the centuries and millennia. So jumping in, verse 1. It says, Then it was, when the wall was built, and I had hung the doors, when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, that I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani, and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. And I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they stand guard, let them shut the doors and bar them, and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. So the physical structure is complete. Now for the organization, again, of God's people, and also the organization in, in a uh, spiritual way, uh, the organization of their hearts, where are their hearts at. You know, it kind of reminds me today of the word church. The word church came from a Greek word, ekklesia, means to be called out. The word church was always meant to be the people, God's people called out of the world. Today, you say, I'm going to church. The assumption is you're going to a building. You're going to a geographical location. You know, there may be a cross on the building. There may be some things that represent a church building. But for the first few centuries, there was no such animal. You know, there was no church. Christianity was illegal at certain times in the Roman Empire. So people met in caves. They met in each other's homes. They even met in the public sewer systems. Anywhere they can meet to come together as God people, but that meaning has changed. And it's really sad because, because it isn't the building. It's almost like it's a sanctuary, or you come somewhere, and quite frankly, as I said in the announcements, when the last person leaves, the church has gone home. This is just the building. As a matter of fact, we can look at church buildings, and there may be beautiful, ornate, glamorous Maybe they're for sale. Maybe they're dilapidated. Maybe they're just a, a structural reminder of what used to be. You know, in Europe, Europe, especially England, is becoming, there's a lot of turmoil there because it's becoming little by little a post Christian nation. And you can see the pictures of the churches, or if you've been there, Islamic organizations are buying them up, cutting the crosses off, and putting Arabic writing on. I don't say this for you to get upset with the Muslims because they're jazzed about their faith. What are the Christians doing in Europe? Why is there a decline? Right? You look at our society. I'm going to read a very poignant article from a pastor who uh, says that the church needs to step up to the plate because we have the message of love. We have the message of change. Are Christians doing their job? Or are they just considering the American dream? You know, trying to get the both, the best of both worlds? Church. You know, Pastor Paul. Are, are you, Refer to his message again in Jeremiah. Again, God's people said in the Old Testament, "The temple, the temple. We have the temple. We're going to be fine." Jeremiah says, "God says, don't trust in the temple. You guys are. There needs to be a revival. Your hearts need to change." But we have the temple, and then Nehemiah gets the, the gates and the walls up. Well, we have the temple, and now we have the gates and we have the walls. Oh, that's wonderful. But the inside has to change, or the same thing is going to happen, and it did. You look up history, it was destroyed a few times. Okay? It's historical fact. But let's look at some of this organization. Number one, the gatekeepers and the guards. Well, then, physically, they needed to close the gates at certain times, open them at certain times. They needed to protect their inhabitants from, from their enemies. Now, we can look at this as well in a spiritual sense today. You know, we are gatekeepers. Uh, we have to preserve uh, the, 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 you know, the, the dignity of the church. We have to uh, keep corrupting influences out of the church. Well, that's a lot of the leader's job. But we also have to guard the, our hearts and our homes. And that's important too. We go out into the world and hopefully we took what we learned in the Word of God and applied it. Instead of saying, great, I'm out of church, you know, I could do whatever I want until I come to church again and I have to behave again. That's really not the walk that the Lord was looking for. So, we have to be gatekeepers, in a sense, to guard our own hearts and our own homes. Okay, the singers. Now, where would a church be if we didn't sing praises to the Lord? Sure, Pastor Paul could do a better job than me explaining worship. He's very good at it. Uh, but you know, we—it's really not a buffer in the church. Worship is is, is a time to singing is an, an interesting thing, and I, I find some men are. They, they, and they don't consider it, consider it manly to sing. I like to sing to the Lord. I don't sing very loud because people would, you know, I'm not very good at singing. But if it comes from my heart, he enjoys it, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hurts my own ears sometimes, but it's coming from my heart. It's a, there's a special place when you sing praises to the Lord, when you sing psalms to the Lord. David was a very manly man, and he did this on a regular basis. He even wrote music, and he wrote the lyrics to how he praised the Lord. Three, the Levites, these were the teachers. They were the explainers. What does it say about a church if on Sunday we're talking about politics and we're talking about humanism and we're talking about the American dream and we leave the word of God out? Well, there are churches that do that, and that's a shame. Because the Levites' job was to take God's word and explain it. Expository teaching had to be there. And then the fourth group was the leaders, so there needed to be some type of administrative or logistical structure. You get a bunch of people together, okay, well, what do we do? What's the agenda? Okay, that needs to happen. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm also a beekeeper, and I have a few hives, and it's amazing. There are bugs, okay? I lift up the thing, and they all have a structure. There's a, the nurse bees, there's the mortuary bees, there's the guard bees, there's the, you know, and, and they all do something, and the queen is the leader. She sets the pace, Right? Whatever the queen does, they follow. If she decides it's time to leave, they will they all follow her. So, leadership is very important. Verse 4. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt. There's some, there's some issues there. Then my God put it into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, the people, that they might be registered by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of those who had come up in the first return. Right, The Jews had come back several times from the Babylonian, then became the Persian dynasty. This is all historical fact. And found written in it, these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away from whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away captive and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his own city. So, the city had potential, but it wasn't perfect, right? The people's hearts needed to change. Uh, the, there was a lot of open space because of all the hardship. Some people fled Jerusalem. They left because of the hardship. There were few inhabitants, and the houses were in disrepair. And you know, whenever you look at a work of God, no work of God is going to be perfect. And I, I see sometimes ministries... Put on a picture of perfection, and that's really not accurate. We don't do that. As a matter of fact, you and I—we laugh when we mess up up here. You know what I'm saying? When we do something silly, when we don't synchronize what we're doing, uh, it's okay to make mistakes. No work of God when people are involved is going to be perfect. You know. Um, remember. This is God's word, but it's also a government document authored by Nehemiah, an agent of the Persian king. I've spoken to you about history. I've spoken to you about different papyri and different uh, historical documents that reference pieces of the Bible and also uh, biblical history. It's amazing. Secular sources reference biblical history. So Nehemiah is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing God's word, but he's also writing information. He's also collecting a census for the Persian king. He's also writing up a genealogy table, which was crucial for the future Messiah to prove his lineage. You see what I'm saying? One thing, Jesus was accused of a lot of things he didn't do, of course. One thing they didn't accuse him of was coming from the wrong line to be the Messiah. Because he could prove. Mary could prove. These documents were well kept. And we see this also in Ezra 2 and Ezra 8. Now, there's a lot of words here. There's a lot of names. You can read it on your own. But basically, I'm going to give you the bullet points. Verse 7, you have the leaders. Verses 8 through 38, you have the heads of the households. Verses 39 through 42, you have the priests. 43 through 45, the Levites, which included singers and gatekeepers. This is a spiritual job. Okay, going back to that whole gatekeeper uh, idea. It was a spiritual job. 46 through 60, these were additional servants. And you really find that when you read these, this chapter and you look at this mighty work of God, there were a lot of servants. A lot of people were helping. And I have to tell you, there's a few things that you pull out of any church. I don't care how big, how mighty, any ministry. You pull these things out, and it crumbles. might not be in a day, a week, but it's on its way down. One of the thing is servants, helpers. You know, a lot of people come out for, to help in uh, live nativity at the end of the year. A lot of people, a lot of you come out to help in VBS. Can I tell you something? I look forward to VBS. I, I don't know who's more excited, me or the kids. You know, and I like to go downstairs and watch what they've done. You know, one year it's a science laboratory. They turn the whole downstairs into a laboratory. Another year it's, it's a jungle theme. This year it's Cave Quest. I'm excited. Uh, the costumes that they wear, and the kids love it. And I love it too, but dude, a few of us couldn't do that job. You, know, you need a lot of servants to make these things happen. <laughs> What's changed in 2,500 years? Only the people, but the concepts have not. It's still God's Word. Right? Verses 61 through 62, there were those that couldn't prove their lineage, so an investigation had to take place. You have to prove that. And it's so important because to be a priest, to be a Levite, you had to be from a certain line. To be the Messiah, you had to be from a certain line. Okay, So they needed to be able to prove that. 63 through 65, these were priests who couldn't prove their lineage. So therefore, they didn't allow them to partake of certain of the temple practices. Okay, That was, again, very serious. God said, only people from this line. So there had to be an investigation done to see if they were really from that line. You've got to prove it. Um, the urim and the thummim is mentioned, and it was basically a device that God used, that the high priest had control of, that he would, you know, God spoke to his people in many different ways, and that was one of the ways he did it. You can see a lot of that in the Old Testament. Today, God speaks to us by his Holy Spirit and by his word. Two tried and true ways for him to get his message to us. Right? Holy Spirit, word, Prayer. Now check it out, verses 66 through 69, I'm an animal lover. (laughs) And it says that the horses, the mules, the camels, and the donkeys are given honorable mention. (laughs) Why? Because they serve their human counterparts. Again, reinforcing the need for help. For help. You know, you can tell a lot about a person who's abusive to animals, I really believe that. Animals can't speak for themselves, they can't make a police report, um, it's really a, 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 a cold heart, somebody that harms an animal or neglects an animal. I really believe that. And I even question someone who considers themselves a strong walking Christian and abuses animals. Okay, I think it's very simple. Verses 70 through 73, this was the record of giving. Well, giving is important too. Capital, right? Getting stuff done. Uh, it's interesting, when the children of Israel left Egypt, God moved the hearts of the average Egyptian to give some of their earrings and their gold and their food, and they blessed the children of Israel. Pharaoh wasn't happy, but they needed that. They needed to survive. They needed to do, to do business. They needed it when they came into the promised land. So, it's, it's listen, again, nothing's really changed. We'll go or chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. So the reading of the law or what they had of God's word at the time. right? I want to look at a few things just before we get into it. Is that you'll find that everybody had something to do. And, you know, again, let's go back to my example of church. Some think, I attend, I'm a consumer, I watch, I'm blessed, you know, um, I got a message. You can't do that for 10, 15, 20 years. You're really, there's no contribution there. So when you look at the scripture, everybody had something to do. There's talents that I don't have. I don't envy them. I'm grateful for what God gave me but I admire them. I admire the worship team. I admire someone who's musically inclined. I admire somebody who's really good with computers and technology. You know, I, I'm good at a Word document. That's how I put my messages together. But I'm not really that good in other stuff. Right? But it's a blessing to see how God gives people diverse talents. And even when he gives his gifts of the Spirit, there's also diversity in the gifts. There's some things that people can do under the power of the Holy Spirit, that I haven't been given that gift, right? But it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Everybody can do something. If you have a burden in your heart to serve the Lord, go to somebody that you trust and say, would you pray, for, pray with me? I want to know what my gifts are. Sometimes it takes an outside source to look at us objectively and say, hey, you're good at that. You know, I never really thought of that. You might have something there. But it's beautiful when you can serve the Lord. You know, it's, it just gives you such a, a feeling of accomplishment. So Nehemiah takes care of the wall building project. Apparently he was good at that. Ezra takes care of the spiritual heart building project. He was a priest, but he also was a scribe. He knew the law very well. Okay? Going back to the church example, the building or the edifice is a very small part of the, the equation. It only provides the location. The roof provides shelter from the rain and the hot sun, we have an air conditioner, we have a heater, that's great. The building can only do certain things, but it's the people within the building that make the difference. Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, quote, the primary task of the church and the Christian minister is preaching of God's word. He said the decadent periods and eras in church history have always been those periods when preaching has declined. I love Quoting the older prophets, or the old well, some of them are prophets, but the older men and women of God because they, they really had some strong things to say. Okay? Now, the Watergate was significant. Don't think about back to the Nixon era. <laughs> this it's completely different. Uh, so, the Watergate was a place where uh, Jesus, well, let's back up for a minute. That was a place where water was coming into the city, and it had, they had their springs, right? It was a very hot climate. And they would love these springs. The water would come up, and they sometimes would make pools. They could wash in it. They could drink the water, and they could distribute it to those inhabitants of the city. So when we think of water, water is very powerful because in Ephesians 5, it speaks about being washed with the water of baptism? No. The water of God's Word. Baptism has its place, but the washing of the water of God's Word is so much more powerful. Baptism is symbolic. Jesus also spoke in John four with the woman at the well in John seven, of living waters indicative of the Holy Spirit flowing from the believer. And Jesus also being the source of that living water. Both of these things, God's Word and God's spirit, right, symbolic of water, are non-negotiable tenets in the believer's life. This day was also important because, at uh, this period of time, because this period of time, and he speaks about it, really kicked off. Uh, three feasts, which was a good place for the children of Israel to kind of come to this revival situation, and it was just a good um, milestone in their spiritual walk. Now let's look at some of these eight tenets of spiritual wall building, or spiritual heart building. Again, I use them synonymously. And this is important because these eight points that I'm going to go through are helpful to combat what I see sometimes in the Christian culture is apathy. Apathy. Somebody else will do it. Mediocrity. My walk is fine. And compromise. Well, I need these connections. This is important. I need this person and that person and that group. But it's ungodly. Yeah, I know, but I have to survive in this world. I see three things that are really problematic in the Christian culture. But let's look at these eight points to combat them based on what they were saying and doing. Number one, assembly. The people came together because God's word Because of God's word and being in assembly with other believers was important to them. So in other words, Hebrews 10.25 says not to forsake the assembly of the brethren. We have this thing now. We do live streaming. Well, we don't do it yet, but um, churches do live streaming. You have TV church. It could be pre-recorded on the Christian channel. And you know what? If you're unable because of a physical disability to get to church, that is awesome. But there are those that think that they actually can come to church. It's weird. Some Christians are actually, they don't like people. (laughs) So they'll stay home and they'll watch church on TV. Is that really church? Part of church is assembling. And what does it say about us if we can't get along with each other? Again, what does the world see if we can't get along with each other? Assembly is very important. If we're going to set the pace and the tone to a culture that's filled with hatred and fear, we have to set an example. So, number one is assembly. uh, Verse three it says, Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday, before the men and women and those who could understand, and the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Second point is adherence. So the assembly remained, okay? basically for a period of four to six hours, for eight days straight while reading God's Word. So, in keeping with that tradition, today we're going to go until four o'clock. <laughs> Did I say something funny? <laughs> for eight days straight, and else we'll just, you know, you get the point. Um, because we live in Western society, right? We live in a, in a drive through society many of us triple stack our not only our weeks but our Saturdays and Sundays and then we wonder why we crash cuz God didn't design us for that but it's the american way so what god's way is more important than the american way you know i've been blessed especially i hear this from new believers and mature believers you know they really get into a message and they're almost disappointed when it ends you know i could have stayed for another hour or so that's a blessing when my wife and I first came to the Lord, I know I, Pastor Paul and Clara shared this as well, um, we just wanted to, we wanted to know more. What does God say? What does he say about me? What does he want from me? What can I do? You have all these questions. And this is a genre that you've never been a part of before. This is the spiritual realm. You want to start feeding your spirit. You want to grow. Okay? But our culture, you know, listen, keep it under an hour. Calvary chapels, we're pretty, pretty good between 35 and 45 minutes, you know, uh, but these things our culture doesn't mind hanging around for hours for, and let's go through them. A concert, a ball game, waiting in line, or better yet, waiting overnight for a new product that's coming out. Remember when Tickle Me Elmo came out for the kids? <laughs> Some people were calling it Tickle Me Satan, you know what I'm saying? But people were, were fighting. That's the last Tickle Me Elmo, oh, I saw it first! The police would come, and this is crazy. And Christians get caught up in this stuff, too. It's bizarre, you know? But, (laughs) oh, pastor, it's 35 minutes. Let's go. Come on, I got things to do today. Let's see. Depending on where you live, you could spend hours on the Garden State Parkway going down to the shore. Don't mind sitting in the traffic for hours, maybe saying some things that we shouldn't say. But, uh, come on, move it. People are so slow. Fishing or golfing all afternoon cramming all night for one final. But again, keep the message down to under an hour. You know what it comes down to? Priorities. It comes down to spiritual training, is what it comes down to. Verse 4. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for that purpose, and beside him at his right hand stood Mattathiah, Shema, Anaya, Urijah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And at his left hand was Padiah, Mishael, Malshajah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. And Ezra, Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was standing above, above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, which really means it's an agreement. Yeah, so if you're a new believer, why do we say Amen? It means it's an agreement. Yeah, I'm confirming that a lot of these things actually are transliterate tr- like hallelujah it's actually a transliteration from the hebrew praise god hallelujah hallel praise god while lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the lord with their faces to the ground so the third thing we see is adoration and you know they did a lot of things they stood they lifted their hands they bowed their heads they put their faces to the ground you, you hear sometimes Christianity can become legalistic. Well, if you're praying, you must be on your knees. You know, a lot of things are said in the Christian culture from people who pretty much, they, they want to control you maybe. But, you know, you can pray. I think it's, it's an, a great thing when you're, when you're praying. It's like people have their hands up and they're, whatever. Everybody has a different style. But this is adoration. And when you are filled with the Spirit and you just want to show God your appreciation, any gesticulation or what you do, is that's that's you personally. When you go home and you pray, you can pray in different ways. Uh, Was it Tozer? A.W. Tozer used to pray for hours with his spread out, with his face, prostrate, (laughs) supine, prostrate, face down, and he just would lay there. And that's how he prayed and worshipped the Lord. And you see by his works that, you know, he definitely did love the Lord. I'm not going to tell you how to pray. I'm not going to tell you how to worship. Uh, seven. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, akub I didn't, I didn't practice these beforehand. Shabbathai, Hodijah, Messiah, Calathe, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites, helped the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Four, apprehension. Are we apprehending? Are we taking it in? Are we... You know, one of the things that worship is good for is it's an attitude of preparation. You know, you just... You came in here... You might have just looked at your checkbook and said, you might have just had a a fight with somebody that you love. You might be thinking about the project that you have to, sorry, you're like, oh, great. You're bringing it all back now in the message. Sorry. Whatever. You came here with baggage from from the world. And you know what? Leave the baggage at the door. You come in, you worship the Lord, you sing. Whatever your issue is, God's got it. God's got it. And then it, it opens us up to now when we hear the word, it, it, come, it goes down easier. You know, because we're already prepared to receive it. We're fertile ground. Now, again, you might come from a denomination where you never read the word of God. You know, it's, it's really a humanistic club when you come to church. Um, some may say, I've never, we've never read the Bible in, in our church. That's sad, and that's a shame. Some denominations will only pick a verse out here and there to bolster their spurious claims. And after 10, 15 years, that Christian doesn't really know anything about the Word of God. Right? They don't know how to defend the Word. They don't know how to, to, to give the Word to somebody who's thirsty. They, they're ill-equipped. Part of the Levites' job was to make sure that the people, after hearing God's Word, understood. It said the people stood in their place. I could see the Levites going through and just having like break time. I'm sure there was some break time, and the Levites would come through and and explain what God's Word meant. This is called expository teaching. I think this is what Calvary Chapel does really well, teaching God's Word so it can be understood and apply it. It's an amazing process. i got to tell you, especially the Old Testament, I'll read the chapter and... I just, all right, I got a few points, and I have to read it a few times, I have to pray, sometimes I close the book, I'm like, I'll get to it tomorrow. Not because I'm frustrated, but because I want to apprehend it. I want to take it in. How am I going to teach it to you if I don't understand it? And the Bible interprets itself. Certainly I go into the Hebrew and Greek, um, and sometimes commentaries when I'm stuck, but it's, it's an awesome thing, and it's a process. Again, when you first started skiing, did you go on the... You know the slope that's like this? No, you'd wrap yourself around the tree, and if you did, some of you might have done that. You know, the word of God is—it's again—it's a spiritual application. It's a spiritual training. It doesn't come overnight. It's a—you have to be patient. We have to be patient. I just love it though when you when the light bulb goes off. I get it. I get it. I understand it. Verse nine. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest, and the scribe. And the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the Lord. The fifth point is respect, reverence, repentance. This is huge. And understanding God's word caused the conviction. You know? Maybe we are involved in something we shouldn't be, and then we read that passage of Scripture, and God says, Don't do that. It's harmful to you. And you just cut to the heart, wow, wow, he cares about me. He, he doesn't want me to ruin my life, and I need to stop doing this. And, 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 and emotions take over sometimes. The people started to weep, okay? They were all excited about the walls and the temple and everything, but now the word of God was there to pierce their hearts. And I have to tell you that, I hate to say it, but some are like spiritual Teflon. They can listen to a convicting, powerful message. They can read the Word, and their heart is covered. They have ballistic you know, material over it. They've got, they've got um, Teflon. They, they just don't want it to penetrate, and that's sad. And maybe they hear the message, and they'll turn to somebody close to them and say, well, you should have heard that. That was for you. No, when we, hear, when we listen to the Word, it's, a, it's personal. That's why, you wonder why as we walk around on our foreheads, it doesn't say what we're thinking. Aren't you glad about that? <laughs> so what's in here stays in here, but it's also between you and the Lord. He knows what's in there. And, and he wants to penetrate it for our good. Right? But this is important. Respect, reverence. We live in a culture where sin is, is glamorized and glorified. And when Tim Tebow plays, prays for somebody on an airplane who may be terminal that the media gets a hold of it and they destroy him. I tell you he's one of the ones and I know he's faced a lot of temptations and a lot of trials. I know Satan wants to make him look like a hypocrite, but I got to tell you I like the man because he's standing the test of time. All he did was pray for somebody on a plane and it got out and they're crucifying him in the media. Because that's what the media does. They don't rejoice in good. They just love oh somebody else got shot. Oh there's, there's another, you know, people hate each other. Hey, let's bring the crew there. That's what they do. It's like their own drive-bys, you know what I'm saying? And they just stir up hatred. They really do. And we become so desensitized to it. But you know what's really sad when those in the Christian culture are irreverent. There's a Hillsong. Um, many of you may know them, like their music. They're a big church at different campuses. And in the last year, they've been in the news a few times and not for good reasons. Well, the last time, sometimes I'll see something on Facebook and I'm like, it's just, it's just Facebook. I, I Believe me, I, I do my homework. And I'm like, no, it can't be. It's so bizarre that stuff happens in a church that I, I got to go outside and see if this is true. Let's look at different sources and such. And there was a picture. So what happened was Hillsong had a big event. It was a women's event. And there was this big thing on stage. And, you know, they're really big with their their productions, people like that. They're attracted to that. Well, their youth pastor gets the bright idea to go up there and to dress, in, or not dress, in character. He dressed as the naked cowboy. Then I'm like looking up naked cowboy. Who's the naked cowboy? He's some dude who has this business, and he goes in New York City, and he wears just a cowboy hat and boots and has like skivvies on, uh, speedo, whatever you want to call it. And he has a guitar and it gives the impression because it covers his private parts that he's completely naked except for his hat and his boots. So this youth pastor gets this bright idea to make it a little more pizzazz. He goes up there on stage with boots, a cowboy hat, speedos, and puts his guitar over his private parts. It gets weirder. (laughs) So it gets picked up by the mainstream media and uh, because the media is always loving to find these fringe groups that make Jesus Christ look bad. And they interviewed the, na- the real naked cowboy. So this dude says, I never gave him permission. I'm the naked cowboy. You can't do that without my permission. And it gets even better. The naked cowboy, who doesn't claim to be a Christian, said, and furthermore, I would never wear Speedos and walk into a church. That's disrespectful to God. So here you have an unbeliever chastising the youth pastor for being disrespectful. I'm like, you know what, Lord... There's nothing I need to see or do at this point. I've seen enough. I mean, I could do this all day long. There's some weird stuff. I had a few congregants send me that article, and I'm like, now I have to research it because everybody's sending me this picture of this pastor dressed up as the naked cowboy. So when when the naked cowboy's angry that you're disrespecting God, you know you have problems, okay? (laughs) Reverence. Where's the reverence for the Lord? Verse 10. Some of you are going to look that up now. I know it. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Oh, be still. He says that a lot in the Word. You know, we get so worked up over stuff, and God says, Be still but I can't be still. Do you see what's going on? God says, be still. Be still. Give me a chance to do things in my time. You know? He doesn't say, shut up. He says, be still. God is so gentle with us. For the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. I can tell you, let me just say this one more point. We, it does seem, well in Europe, and it's really starting to come here if you look at the statistics, that we're moving to a post-Christian kind of generation. Actually, there's a few court cases in federal court that if they go through, it's really going to hurt, it's going to hurt the the church. Um, I don't want to go into it now, maybe another time, but they're just looking for the right balance on the Supreme Court to ram this stuff through. Um, But... It's, it's all fact, it's all in the, the federal courts. I see sometimes ministries try to be relevant. Well, there's, there's gaps in the seats and in the pews. What do we do to bring people in? So what they do is they revert to the world, like that stunt, to bring people in. I don't care if there's gaps. Call, tell, ask your coworker to come, you know, your friend, whatever. Um, whatever. Gaps are fine. You know, it means we don't have to go to two services. But there's this pressure to perform. There's this pressure to wow people. We don't come to church to be wowed. We come to church to get away from those influences and get somewhere where we can get a little bit of a head change you know, to to find that peace. And we're not going to find it if we're we're doing things that are irreverent and not respectful. Then the Holy Spirit's not going to be part of that. So the sixth point is celebration and joy. They were asked to move from weeping and sorrow to joy. Now, if you understand restoration, restoration is beautiful. We, we, listen, we're sinners. So we, we know that we've done something wrong. We read that we've done something long, wrong. We hear it in the service. And we're like, you know what, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And he forgives. And then what happens is we move to a, a restored relationship. But the problem today is there's not a lot of repentance. There's just too much pride in our culture and sometimes the Christian culture. So we move to this period of restoration. Now check it out, I love this, embedded in the celebration is giving to those who don't have. God was, you say, well then why are there poor people today? Well why? Well why? Because man doesn't listen to God's law, period. He always was concerned about the poor. He even legislated in his word to take care of the poor and he went into detail. Shame on us if we see somebody in need and we have the need and, or we have the means and we don't help them. This is right out of James. James 2 says, don't just say, be warm and well-fed, and then you walk away. Give, buy a cloak, buy a jacket, give them your jacket. And listen, we've done that as people, as Christians. Well, this, it's mine. I really like, well, somebody's freezing to death. It's zero degrees out, right? Feed and clothe, be a part of that. James 4, even more powerful, he says, to those who basically have the means and don't do it, to him it is a sin. It's a sin of omission. How do we look at somebody who's really suffering and just walk past them? Okay? Um, But again, there's also something joyous about giving. It's it's a great feeling. You know, if you if if we start out stingy and God moves us to be generous, I tell you that it's such such a change. There's a blessing in itself to give. Verse 13, last few verses. Now on the second day. The heads of the father's houses and all the people with the priests and Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths or tabernacles or temporary little shelters during the feast of the seventh month or the feast of booths or tabernacles and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make these booths as as it is written. Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house or in their courtyards or in the courts of the house of God and in the open square of the water gate and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole congregation of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. Since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. And there was very great gladness. Also, day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. So this is obedience and application. Now, so the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, I believe it's called, also called Sukkot, uh, they, even the Jewish people today, they still, for those that are observant, they in their homes or in their backyards, they'll make like a little structure uh, and they'll put stuff over it and, and they may even sleep there for the night or they'll take a rope and put it between their clothesline and put a, it's like like camping out. But what it did was, God, we, we forget so easily sometimes the goodness, but basically uh, it was a, a reminder that even during the wilderness wandering, when they had these little temporary shelters, God still provided. It was dry, he gave, he gave them water. Uh, it was, they were hungry, he gave them manna. So he provided in an, an incredible uh, way and he blessed them, so it was something to remember. It. But the seventh point, obedience and application, don't just hear the word do it, we're going to James again. Uh, Chapter 1, I believe, verse 22. But don't just hear the word, but do the the word as as well. So, obedience. What's the sense in hearing something of God's word and just blowing it off? You know, that's not a walk. That's going to watch something to entertain you, basically. But let me just say this. If you read the news, okay, there's really bad stuff going on in our society. People are afraid. This is amazing thing what Satan does. The more he can gin up fear and un- instability, the more he gins up divisiveness. Because now what people do is they say, well, that person's not like me. I'm going to be in my camp. And then you have all these fractured camps fighting with each other. And uh, politicians love it, federal politicians, because they use that and they all get a piece of the pie and see which camps that they can you know, pander to and get them to put them back into office. But in the church, we have to do the reverse of that. In the Christian culture, our attitude can't be, well, don't worry, be happy. Well, we should be content, we should have joy, but how do we look at what's going on in our own neighborhoods and think that that's okay? Jesus Christ called us to be salt and light. And you know, when a a piece of meat was going to rot, you would put the salt in the meat, okay? And if you were the salt, you might say, oh, you're going to put me in there? But salt had a very strong preserving influence to keep that meat from rotting. And our society is like that piece of meat. Mankind is in trouble. Humanism doesn't work. Our leaders are feckless. They're not solving the problems. Some of them are just making it worse. Where are the leaders? Where are those to speak up and bring healing and bring people together? Well, there are some voices. Let me, I just want to read an article. Well, I'm not going to read the article, but I'm going to reference it. And it was powerful. It's a few pages long. It's by uh, Pastor Tony Evans. And the title is, America's Current Violence Can Be Traced to Christians' Failures. Ooh, some might get offended reading that, especially reading the article. But what he basically says is, Jesus put us out into society to try to make things better. And maybe as Christian culture, some in the Christian culture are so self-absorbed with their own way of life and their own American dream and piece of the pie, that they're not concerned about what's going on outside of their own bubbles. Good article if you, if you want to read it. So here's my question. And again, here's another thing. And, and I'm not against this, but, you know, even Calvary's have their big crusades. You know, Greg Laurie was here. Oh, he was here recently. Well, Greg Laurie going to save us. Well, he's going to preach and he brings thousands of people and he's going to, he's going to, he's going to. And you know what that does? Celebrity Christianity helps. It hurts us. Because what we think is we can only find the big. My pastor, my Christian celebrity. So I'm absolved. I don't have to do anything. And that's not true. You know, you and I work as a team. Some of you are in college. I'm not, I'm not going back to college. I did enough college. <laughs> You go out and be salt in your colleges. Some of you are in troubled neighborhoods. Well, I I only can live in one place in one time. Well, you've got to go out and be that preserving influence. Some of you are in a hostile environment with a horrible boss, and people are angry. Well, I don't work there. You see what I'm saying? And I'm really blessed that as I look around, I see a lot of you that bring people into the church. You and I are a tag team. Basically, you love them. Because they're not coming to your church if you're a hypocrite. They're going to look at your life. And when you show them love, they're going to say, maybe I'll check that church out. Because if you're like this, I wonder if the other people in the pastor are like that. And then you you smirk and you come in and you say, well, give them the word. Let them love Jesus. See the love in the word. And we, we work together. That's what the church does. Listen, Christians... We could sit back, and I'm going to tell you something. You read the news long enough, you will become angry. It will change you, because that's what it's demonically designed to do, to tick you off, to get you into your camp. And then there's the Facebook wars. You know, my friend posted this. Well, I'm on the other side, so I'm going to post that. And there's like a salvo of Facebook wars. Well, I'm going to delete this person. I'm going to do that. We need to get, go out into the world, you know? And I pray for revival and I would ask that you would join me in praying for revival because it's not going to get any better anytime soon. Evangelist Billy Sunday was asked if revival lasted. He replied quote, no, but neither does a bath. He said, but it's good to have one occasionally. (laughs) So my prayer is that you know, the Bible says that things are going to get worse, not better. Mankind is not going to solve his and her problems. It's going to it's just going to get worse so i just want to ask as we go through spiritual heart building that we pray about our responsibility in our own little sphere of influence you know who who is it that maybe you thought about talking to and your heart goes out to them but maybe socially you're scared maybe that's just not your nature pray lord give me the strength to to love that person I, i don't that he or she is a loner and, and nobody wants to go near he, he or she. You might stop the next terrorist attack. Who knows? There are a lot of angry people out there and taking things into their own hands. So I just would pray as we go through this that we wouldn't just come to hear a message and go home and talk about it over lunch, but that what we would do is we would come and we would receive it, that it would find its way into our heart, and we would pray about what can I do in my own little world, Lord, I'm really small out of all the people on the planet, but in my own little world, Lord, what can I do to make a difference in this world? Let's pray.
0: You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road,